G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Welcome to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Such an enjoyable time every week as we sit down with the great of Australian sport and we do it again on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. My guest today is a man who instilled fear into some of the best batsmen in the world in recent times. He is one of the fastest bowlers ever to pick up a cricket ball. His name is Sean Tate, and he joins us now. Sean, good to have you with us. Thank you very much. Good to be here. How's the body, first of all, because of that incredible action that you had? And we know that fast bowlers, it's a strain on the body at the best of times. But when you're bowling at 100 miles an hour, it's got to be a strain. How are you feeling now, a couple of years after retirement? I'm pretty good now. Um, no more painkillers, no more no more running in and, and whipping it down. So my body actually feels good now. Uh I suppose as good as it can be. You still get a few, obviously every sportsman or anyone really. That um, over time you get a few cracks and creaks, but um, to be honest, it's pretty good. I got no complaints. Was it always the same action when you were coming up as a youngster? Did you have that same action? If so, mm. did anyone say, "Gee, this is going to cause a few issues with your body later in life"? Did anyone try and tinker with it and just fine tune it a little bit? Oh, they did. Yeah, absolutely. But when I was younger, playing sort of cricket up in the Adelaide Hills, I had a a fairly decent action. I was sort of a bit more upright and um, sort of just looking to bowl out swingers. Decent pace, I suppose, for a kid. Um, and then I got a bit stronger and, and I, something just hit me. I just wanted to bowl fast. And um, rather than just, I, I sort of got bored, I suppose, with bowling little out swingers and, and on the spot type thing. I just wanted to be quick. And I was big enough for it and strong enough for it. And um, I sort of had the action that, it could, that could change a bit to become a bit of a slingy type thing, I suppose. Um, and yeah, and then coming through the ranks at the Sacker as a, as a young fella, um, some guys try to tinker with it. Obviously, had Dennis Lilly used to come around at, in those times working for Cricket Australia and spent a lot of time with him. And he was really good, but um, and he could definitely see that I, I needed to change a few things. Um, I suppose I was a little bit stubborn, though. So when, didn't too much. <laughs> when Dennis Lilly did speak to you, maybe in the back of his mind, he had uh, an old bowling partner of his because the great Jeff Thompson, of course, yep, had yep. A, very much a slinging type of action. Mm. Did, were you inspired by the likes of Tomo? Was there anyone uh, that did inspire you to, to give it more of the slinging action after being upright early on? Yeah, I never saw Tomo bowl. I was too young for that. Um, so it wasn't really Tomo. It was more... I mean, I... I when I was growing up, it was, um, you know, McGrath and even to a certain extent, Brett Lee, and I ended up playing with these guys, but to a certain extent, uh, Binger and, and Shoa Bakhtar. Um, but, you know, was it Macron, Kirtley Ambrose, these sort of guys, Wakar Yunus, um, they're the guys I used to watch um, from, from memory that I, that I liked. Um, and I suppose as I was getting sort of older, te- teenage years, yeah, Shoa and, and Brett, um, I suppose I got a fair bit of inspiration out of watching their, their stuff. So... Where did the extra speed come from? I'm sure that you've broken it down and, and you've looked um, physiologically yep. at how you gained that extra speed. How quick were you bowling when you were when you had the upright action? What was your quick one there? Oh, I don't know. I mean, there was times when, I, when even when I was playing professional cricket, you know, I sort of did get a bit more upright and got a bit more bounce and swing. And I probably should have stuck to that because eventually you can probably get some pace into that sort of action. So 
Um, but obviously there comes a time, you know, if you're playing a four-day game at Adelaide over on a pretty flat wicket and you come into the last session, um, your body's tired. I just, I think that's where it came from. The, the fact that when I got tired, I tried harder to bowl quicker and then the action sort of goes a bit all over the place. And I suppose that's where it came from. Um, so I look, looking back, the times that I was you know, fresh, I probably was a bit more upright trying to swing it. And then later in the day, um, that's when I really got that sling on and, and sort of bowled reverse swing, because probably because I was tired. So, um, but I, I believe, I believe it's a lot of it's um, adrenaline. You know, even when I played footy as a kid, I, I, I'd get fired up quite easily. So I had a, the, the adrenaline used to pump, um, and I just sort of mentally tell myself at training, I've got to bowl fast all the time. And I, I reckon that's got a lot to do with it as well. And speaking to young young blokes now about bowling quick, you've got to tell yourself you're a fast bowler, and you've got to push your body to the limits in the nets. Because then your body gets used to it. Yeah. One of the things about the slinging action, Sean, is that I've often heard um, people who know the bowling action a whole lot better than me, but they talk about the release mm. point and how difficult it is to read it when it's coming almost sideways rather from mm. the top where batsmen are used to seeing it. Did that work in your favour? Do you think that it came from a different release point? A lot of guys said that it did work in my favour. You know, guys I've played against. Um, and then obviously played in the, in the Australian side with them and, and we talk, just talk, you know, having a beer or whatever it is. And um, they, yeah, they used to talk about the fact that they didn't really know where it was coming from with me. It sort of came from behind and it was a bit of a sling and my arm was sort of, not in front of the umpire, like a malinga, but, you know, that sort of that sort of stuff. So they found it hard for, to pick me up. Um, that's the sort of, that's the, that's the feedback I got, yeah. When you said before, you just like to bowl fast. Does it then become mm. a competition to see how fast you bowl and, and sometimes that is at the expense of other things that you should be thinking of while you're bowling? Did it yep. ever get to that? Yeah, it did. I, mean, I suppose that's why, I, you know, <laughs> if you follow cricket, I bowled a fair few wides, no balls and this mm. sort of thing. I always had problems with that um, and I had problems. You know, there'd be games where I'd get tapped all over the park um, and I'd got a fair bit of criticism for that. Um, but then I suppose, you know, talking to coaches through my career, they were like, you're the bowler we want because you can win a game by yourself, but then you can also lose it by yourself. And I suppose I, I got, a, I come to peace with that after a while. And I mean, I used to, I, when I, when I'd lose a game, if I bowled a wide in the last over and then go hit for a six or no ball, then I was so down on myself. Um, I was a, I was a hard, harder critic on myself than anybody. I was, um, the sort of guy that would apologize to the teammates. I was that down. I just wanted to do well all the time. So um, but yeah, I came to peace with the fact that you know, people would, would want me in their side because I can win a game. Um, but on the other hand, yeah, you, it can go pear-shaped as well. What about the intimidation factor? When you bowl that fast, when you get it up to 160 kilometres an hour, you are well aware that you have somebody at the other end who either can't see it or is mm. scared of seeing it. How much Doesn't want to see it. Yeah, yeah doesn't want to see it. How, how much did that... <laughs> play on your mind when you're bowling fast and really fast how much did you yeah. were you aware of the fact that you had someone at the other end who just didn't want to be there yeah I mean I, I reckon that's a huge part of fast bowling even if you're bowling 135 you've got to have presence um, if that makes sense you've got to have a presence about you you've got to try and make yourself bigger in your follow through um, you don't have to carry on a sledge all the time I mean I used to say a few things here and there but it was just silly fast bowler talk it was nothing personal or anything but You've got to make sure that they know that you don't like them being there. I, I think that's a huge thing in fast bowling, and I used to try and do that. I mean, a lot of the time, my job, I felt, was to intimidate the opposition batsman. It didn't always work um, at all. Um, but if you've got a guy on your team that can bowl 145, 150, and also be in their face and is a scary-looking fast bowler, I reckon it's a huge advantage for your team. 
So that intimidation is part of your weaponry and you have to use that. Did what happened with Philip Hughes change your outlook on the way you bowled? Um, look, I, I was probably, I suppose I was coming towards the end of my career then. And most of my firebrand stuff was in my first 10 years. Of, mm. I, I think I played 15 years. So my last five was a little bit more subdued. I was playing 20-20, so obviously one bounce went over. Um, and you can roll, you can bowl as fast as you want in T20s. You're probably going to go the journey more often than not. So my game did change a little bit. Um, I wouldn't say my... Well, that changed anyway before, Phil, before Phil's death. But um, I suppose it was more the attitude towards cricket. Just don't, say, don't take it so seriously. If you've hit someone in the head or you've hit them in the arm, don't carry on. Go and see if they're okay. It's all right to do that type of thing. Whereas... In the past, when I'd hit guys, I'd just turn around and walk back to my mark. Mm-hmm. And, and to be honest, I was fairly happy that I hit, hit him, which that changed when, when Phil died. Um, after that, it was like, right, this is a game, um, and, and it's dangerous. So, yeah, that, that, that's what changed, probably the mindset. Mm. Was there ever a moment with you, Sean, where you were worried that you'd hit someone and cause some damage? Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. There was times you hit, hit a guy on the helmet, um, and often enough, to be fair, I, I did go up and, and, and see if they were okay. And a lot of guys, towards the end, because you're playing so much T20 cricket around the place, you end up hitting blokes you know that you've had a beer with in the past or you've played on the same team as. So I remember hitting Michael Lum at Adelaide Oval um, hard in, in the in the Big Bash. And, yeah, I was worried. I was concerned about him because he's a mate of mine. I hit Luke right at the MCG towards the end of my career, hit him hard in the helmet as well. And I'd also played and, and had a couple of beers with him in the past. So then I started to worry, definitely. It must be a different, uh, difficult balancing act, though, because here's one thing mm. that is your absolute weapon, and you need to use not only the cricket ball, but you need to use the psychology of bowling so fast, and yet you're mm. concerned about causing damage at the other end. It's a bit of a battle that goes on, I guess, in your mind. My, my whole point about the causing... When I say, yeah, I wanted to hit guys and I, and it was, I was okay with it, that was also to get a wicket. Because mm. I knew if I'd hit someone hard, or, or if, whether it was the arm or the, 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 the hip or the, the helmet, I was, I was every chance there was a wicket coming up. And, it, and that's the way it used to work, it, whether it was club cricket or first-class cricket or whatever. I sort of knew that a, a wicket was coming because you've hit someone and they don't really want to be there and, and there's every chance they're going to sort of sneak the next one or, or, or get out at some stage. So it was all about getting wickets, really. So, yeah. We'll talk about some famous wickets that you got when you played your first test match a little bit later in the program. What's your involvement with cricket these days after retiring from um, forms of the game a couple of years ago? Um, I, when I first uh, retired, I, I wanted to get away from it. And I, I sort of spent six months, I suppose, just, just chilling out. And, and uh, my daughter was born at that time as well. So um, I spent time with my family. And I didn't really... I sort of wanted to see the life away from cricket and that lasted about six months I got I got jack of it and I wanted to get back into the game so um, it's funny how that works and yeah that's all you know sort of thing um, but so nowadays I'm head coach at Adelaide Career Club um, so I've just been appointed that um, this off season um, so that's good I, uh, you know being a head coach in the, in the grade comp here in Adelaide is a it's going to be a big challenge for me um, see how I go um, I was playing cricket still in the Adelaide Hills actually until until this year as well um, as a batsman, believe it or not, on, on, mostly on hard wickets. But uh, And then just some media. I mean, I've been in India a, a lot. I've been in Dubai doing uh, coverage for their, their Premier Leagues over there. But, so I've done a, a fair bit of studio analysis stuff um, in the subcontinent, which I've thoroughly enjoyed. Um, even a bit of radio with, 
with uh, SCN here for the Big Bash as well. Yeah. So that's about it. That's that's the crux of it. So that's, um, yeah, still being involved in the game is, is um, it's made me happier than I thought it was going to, put it that way. Yeah. So what do you think, if we're talking in five years or ten years' time, Sean, uh, do you think mm. I'll be talking to Sean Tate, the cricket commentator and analyst, or do you think I'll be talking to Sean Tate, the um, uh, Australian coach? Oh, Australian coach. <laughs> I reckon if you could say that if I was a, if I was a bowling coach for a for a professional side wherever that might be in the world, I'd, I'd be pretty happy with that to be honest. All right, and yeah. you spoke about the Adelaide Hills, and that's where you're living these days. Yeah, yeah. I just not too far from from the city of Adelaide, but um, up in the hills, uh, freezing cold, freezing cold this time of year. But um, it's a, it's a nice place to live. It's um, like a villagey type feel, and and for my my wife and daughter, we enjoy it, and the dogs. So yeah, life's good here. And you were talking about uh, playing footy as an, a younger mm-hmm. man. Um, where did you play? What position did you play? Uh, I was I was centre half forward, full forward. Yeah, just um, all about the goals. I wasn't much for chasing Guernsey. Uh, so yeah, I played a game last year. I, I went back in the hills. I played for my old club and played a game in the B grade, and I managed to kick a goal. But I did probably lose the game for us. I hit the post in the last quarter and we lost by about a goal. So I think um, I probably lost the game for us there. How did the body oh, pull like, up after that? Mate, I was about to say, I felt like I'd been in a car accident. Honestly, I I was that sore for the next week. Um, so, yeah, I haven't gone back to footies. That'll do me, I think. I was uh, just talking before we came on air. Um, I was catching up with the Brownlow medalist, Adam Cooney, out in the uh, production office. Yep. And he's come back and played a bit this year. He did his hamstring. And um, one of the boys said, well, why didn't you just play out of the yeah. goal square? And he said... That's where I was playing out of the goal square. He said, if I had it been any further back, I would have been standing on the goal umpire's toes. <laughs> so he's gone back and played. Oh, that's, oh, that's all right. That's good. And um, he's questioning why too. I can imagine. Because when you've, when you've taken a few years, I think it's been three years since I've retired. Yeah, you, you sort of body. I mean, to even to get up, like you talk about fast bowling, to get up and bowl fast, it takes a good three months, I think, to get yourself back to that, that stage. So to not to have three years off and then try and do something like that, it's just your body just shocks your body. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that um, your action was more suited to the mm. shorter forms of the game? You did play Test cricket, and we'll talk about that as the yeah. program progresses. But do you think ideally mm. that it was more suited towards um, ODIs and and T twenties? When I yeah, when I was um, when I was younger, I used to love the the one day cricket. I mean, I, I obviously watched Test cricket, but I, I remember. Certain things about Test cricket watching as a kid, but I'd, all I think about as my childhood watching was the coloured clothing and the one day cricket. I've always loved it, um, and obviously when I first started playing, yeah, you know, for the, for South Australia, it was all four day cricket. Eventually, I moved into one day cricket. My first contract with Cricket Australia was based on the longer forms. Um, I wasn't I wasn't ranked as a short form player at all, and I found that amazing because I thought I was a better short form player even at that age. Um, so yeah, I think really sort of deep down. In my thoughts, I was always going to be a short-form player. Um, I managed to get through, I mean, 40, maybe 40 Shield games, I suppose, and, and obviously only played three Test matches. I look back on it now, it would have been lovely to play a lot more of that, certainly. Um, but I think I was probably built for one-day cricket more so, yeah. All right, we're going to explore that when we come back on the other side of the break, where it all began and when the first realisation came to you that you might be good enough to represent your country, which you did uh, throughout One Day Internationals and uh, also through those test matches and that famous test that we are going to discuss where you took three pretty handy scalps. That's all still ahead of us with Sean Tate. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. 
You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Hope you're enjoying the chat with Sean Tate. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Before we get into uh, the start of your cricket career, Sean, who was the first one to generate the name The Wild Thing about you? I think um, I think it was Andrew Simons. Um, he, he was a good friend of mine when I was playing with the Australian side and it sort of started that 2007 World Cup. It started around then. They actually put a video... Um, <clears throat> Team, one of the, the analyst bloke or, or whatever, and a few of the players got this video organised for the for the team in a team meeting, and they they put it up on a screen and they played that song, and just showed me bowling a heap of wides and they had wides <laughs> that were going for four and all this sort of stuff. And I just sit there and cop that, and, and the, the players loved it. And I think probably after that, they I can't remember if they they were calling me the wild thing before that. It all started as a bit of a joke, you know, like the major league Charlie Sheen's character. I think it was Ricky Vaughan or something his name. I think. He sort of came out and bowled and threw fast, but threw all over the place, and that's where it came from. Um, and it sort of stuck. I wasn't a huge fan of it, but you, you don't get to choose your nickname, do you? So you knew that other people were going to do it, and you knew that uh, because it was a bit funky and it, you know had a good feel to it, it was going mm. to stick. Um, did it really great with you, or did you think, oh well, it's just going to happen, so I may as well just go with the flow? I, I just yeah, I just went with the flow. I was pretty young, and these blokes they're having a laugh, and it was all good. So. The only thing was when they used to play the song at Adelaide Oval, all the players had a song for themselves. Mm. And no matter what song I chose to walk out to, they'd play that. So I just thought, <laughs> I hope everyone here doesn't think that that's the song I've chosen. That, that They've done it for me. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't choose to have that as a song. So, But anyway, it's a bit of fun, isn't it? And I just sort of, it never really went anywhere, I suppose, in the end. It, um, I never did any marketing around it type thing. So... Um, yeah, but it was a bit of fun. Now, question without notice, uh, with those songs that have now become prevalent with um, players walking out to bat mm. or to bowl or whatever, is there one that comes to mind that seems very unusual? Is there one particular bloke that you heard the song and you thought, why have they chosen that? I remember Ross Taylor. I, I, I just remember this. I don't remember too many of the guys the songs that guys walked out to. There were some bad ones, obviously. Mm. Um, you know, you're trying to be fired up to walk out and bowl or bat, and you got some... Not a love song, but yeah, some rap song or something. I found that strange. Ross Taylor used to walk out to a song called "Smack That." Right. So he'd, he'd walk out to bat, and then I think it was Akon, one of the rappers, sang the song "Smack That," and that was his song to walk out to to bat. So put yourself under a bit of pressure if you're walking out to that. We're only just starting to see the IPL back on television again. It yeah. went through this hiatus where, when it first came out, you know, it was the biggest thing in the sport, and then. All of a sudden, it just drifted away, and we didn't get coverage of it from someone who's never been there. And I'm sure that's most mm. of us. How manic is the enthusiasm and the dedication of the Indian people towards the IPL? Oh. It must be just something to behold. Yeah, I've spent obviously spent a lot. Of, my wife's Indian. Um, I've spent a lot of time um, in India um, during the IPL. I played. Oh, I don't know how many years. I played four or five years, and then. I managed to go back again a couple of years later just as a squad member. I didn't get a game. Um, and then the last three seasons, I've actually uh, done the commentary stuff with the IPL. So I've been heavily involved there. It's just a, it's, a, it's got a great feeling about it. It has, um, I wouldn't say the whole country stops, but it, you've got a game on every single night and it goes for two months and every single game is absolutely packed no matter what. And I suppose the Big Bash is similar, but it's a way of life there in, in some ways. You, you just feel it when you're in the cities. You, 
even if the cricket's not on, you can just feel that it's on. Let's go back, Sean, to that time we were talking about where you're just starting to get your formative steps and obviously you're coming under the attention of uh, some uh, talent people at Cricket Australia. Who was the first one, you think, at the top level who saw in you uh, enough to indicate that you had what it takes to play for your country? Um, oh, I mean, there was a guy called Peter Muggleton here in Sac- at the Saka um, and, and a couple of guys in the coaching here that... They first showed the interest in me, um, and obviously that's from a South Australian point of view. Um, and I, th- I think, I think they saw it in me. As the Saka saw it in me. I don't think they were surprised when I got called up, fairly young age, and, and into the squad. Um, so I think the Saka in general at that time were, were good for me, um, and a lot of guys were had involvement with that. I'm trying to think f- to the next level. I mean, um, John Buchanan was coach, but he was he had a lot to worry about. He didn't need to worry about a 20, 21 year old firebrand to be honest I wasn't really playing I was in the squad but um, I always come back to my, I think it's my teammates I think if you talk like I never had an actual mentor I suppose off the field or anything like that but I think my teammates so I look at Jason Gillespie Darren Lehman they were two South Aussies you know Bluey had, Bluey had probably finished Greg Bluey had probably finished that time but he was in the South Australian squad so had some had three guys that have played a lot for Australia around the South Australian stuff so that was good to have and I was on tour with Dizzy and Bull for my first tour um, and then there was guys, you know, through the next couple of years when I was sort of just about to play my first test match. Uh, Shane Warne showed a lot in me as well. Um, he was very keen for me to get a game. He made it he made it really obvious that he wanted me to play as well in the nets and stuff. He would encourage. So I remember at the time him, him backing me in a lot. Um, and I suppose I, I, I bowled to Steve Waugh in a game. I think it was my second or third one-day game. Um, I bowled to Steve Waugh and bowled quite quick and... And bowled well, and and I remember the next year or so in the media, a lot Steve War saying that I should be in the Australian team. So, probably got Steve War to thank as well. So, yeah, not not just one person. I think just a collective group of people, and I'm probably missing a few as well. But um, yeah. Well, let's um, go back to the test first, and then we'll talk about that mm. night at the SCG, the day night. Mm. Uh, your first test, 2005, famous series. I, mm. I always remember 2005, Sean, because it was the first time that I got a big screen TV. <laughs> and I could not wait for that first yeah. test. And, and the first over of that first test of 2005, it was just fantastic oh, yeah. ashes test cricket. To be a part of the team there and a part mm. of the squad must have been just oh, enormous. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was fantastic. And it's, um, yeah, listen, there was no, and there's no time, you know, sometimes you look at it from afar or you're watching it on, you go, that must be fantastic to be a part of that. And sometimes you, you, you expect some guys might go, it wasn't that great, but it was. It was brilliant. It was mm. um, just the, the hype around in, in the UK, um, on the on the bus with the team, just drive, driving everywhere um, around the UK, and there's crowds following us, obviously abuse majority of the time. But um, and I, I didn't play until the fourth test. Um, mm. So just all the lead up to that as well. I, mean, I enjoyed every single minute just being around those those legends in our, in our team, training with them, having a beer with them after wins and, and whatnot. So um, I think... To be honest, apart from the actual cricket, I just enjoyed the actual experience itself um, of just being being on that tour with the team, not the actual games, so to speak, um, but just the other stuff that went on. I just thought it was fantastic, yeah. What about in that fourth test? They throw you the ball and they say, righto, young fella, mm. it's your turn to bowl in test cricket. What was the um, nervous energy like inside you? Oh, yeah, I, I felt like I was... I mean, I look back now and say maybe I wasn't ready for it, but I felt at the time I was, I, th- I think. You know, I'd... I was certainly confident enough to play. Um, I've been bowling really well in the nets. Um, I bowled well in the tour games leading in. Um, so, 
Yeah, but uh, it was obviously it was a fairly flat wicket from memory. Um, I probably tried to bowl a little bit too fast, and then I was very nervous. So, um, well, I thought I bowled all right in the first innings. I think I took three for. Yeah, and it was Brady, it was three for, three for ninety-seven, and the scalps were Triscothic, Ian Bell, and Andrew Flintoff. That's yeah, a pretty handy trio. Yeah, for, uh, Freddie got a hundred. I reckon I got him LBW on a on a hundred. Um, yeah, I mean that. That first week at Triscothic, I, I sort of carried on a lot. and But that was just a, my body, my feelings took over. It wasn't a celebration I'd planned or anything like that. I just sort of, it was pure happiness and relief. And um, I think your, your whole life you worked to something and, and that felt like that's what it was, I suppose. It was getting a wicket in test cricket, knowing that you, you're good enough to knock over someone like a Triscothic. Um, and I, was, I just was so happy. My body just took over and I ran and... I think tackled Gilly, so um, yeah, amazing feeling. Yeah. You were talking about the fact, Sean, that you'd been bowling well in the nets. I'm sure Justin Langer would probably attest to that. There was just a, a little confrontation that happened between you two and the nets in that series. What happened? Um, it's a funny one, actually, because uh, that – now, this is from my memory. That morning, um, I was having breakfast down at the hotel – uh, Brett Lee came up to me. Someone came up to me anyway and, and put the paper in front of me and it was an article that JL was writing for the paper over there. And he basically said that I wasn't ready to play because um, I think there must have been some talk they were going to pick me in. That I wasn't ready to play, um, not good enough, they should play this person, that person, blah, 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 blah. That sort of thing. And from a teammate itself, even though I was so young and I honestly didn't really care that much, but from a team, now I think about it, from a teammate to write that a better player in your squad mm. that you're training with and you've got to sit on a bus with, I find that amazing. Um, but anyway, at the time, I didn't actually really care. And I, and whoever put the paper in front of me, I think it was Binger, um, he just said, use that as motivation. And I was like, okay. And I sort of didn't really hit me, but then I got in the nets. And I don't think it mattered who I was going to bowl to that day. And Trevor Hones was at the back, um, sort of behind the bowlers watching chairman selectors. Um, and I knew that this was going to be the if I if I performed in the here in the nets, I'm probably half chance of getting the game, which is what it was like back then. You know, the nets were pretty important, and I just let loose. And I, to be fair, I bowled a, a full toss that hit him. I bowled a couple of short balls that hit him, um, and I wasn't into him or, or talking to him or fired up or anything. He was doing that back to me. He was sort of like, you know, you little smart ass, go back and bowl, you know, blah blah blah, all this sort of stuff. And I'd, I'd split his box, so I'd hit him. I'd cracked his protector and, and mm. split that. So it was it was fairly nasty stuff, um, but then at the end of it, uh, he came up and gave me a hug, and it was all good. Because um, yeah, he, he had a good old go at me, and I did feel a bit funny. But um, anyway, I got picked, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's a it's an incident that is spoken about a lot, and obviously from the outside we look at it and say, well, it mm. must have been a, a pretty tense sort of situation. But from what you've said, it was only tense for a matter of minutes. It didn't have it any was. ongoing consequences. No, 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 no. And then I think a couple of days later, I picked up the paper and he wrote an article, which I kept. I cut it out and kept. I think my dad's got it somewhere. Sean Tate, what a great young man. <laughs> no, 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 honestly, if I, could, I wish I had him in front of me now. The two articles, how different they were. What a great young man. Uh, yeah, no earrings, no tattoos, no beach, bleach blonde hair, blah, blah, blah. Great, you know, this and I was just like, this is fantastic. I cut it out and gave it to my old man, yeah. Did you ever <laughs> subsequently ask Justin why he would do something like that as you said no. about a teammate that it's very unusual to do that it is but I, you know what I, as a young bloke I was a 22 in a team full of guys like him and Shane Warne and I mean yeah the list goes on McGrath the superstars Dizzy and I just I just shut my mouth I wasn't there for 
to, to talk up in, in meetings. I wasn't there to talk up when I wasn't when I shouldn't have. I just shut my mouth. I enjoyed every. I actually got along with Jay pretty well, so it was no big deal. Um, and I suppose at that time, some of these guys we had. I mean, some of the some of the, the influence they had on the communities or wherever they went. You know, Shane Warne, for example, they were big. They were a big deal. These blokes all around the world. So to me, it was like. Yeah, there's no way I'm going to confront any of these guys. These these guys are, are, are superstars, so, yeah. You mentioned you played three test matches. One of them was on home soil, and it was on the Wacker wicket. Were you mm. licking your chops when you played a test match at the bouncy Wacker? Well, it didn't end up being that bouncy from memory. That, that was a, another – my, my test career was a stinker, really. That was a, another one. I had a shock at the Oval after that first one, really. I didn't bowl much. Um, and the Wacker one, um, I, I had – what was going on then? That was a, I think I was played as a fourth fast bowler, so it, so as well I probably wasn't going to bowl that much that test anyway. I remember doing a boxing session two days out from that game. I, my my skin folds were sort of up, and then I needed to lose a bit of weight apparently, and all this sort of stuff. And so I'd been doing extra sessions, boxing sessions, and I, I twinged my hamstring. So and I, I sort of kept it really quiet from the physio, and I shouldn't have. Um, in hindsight, I shouldn't have played that game really. Um, so I was I was worried about my hamstring. I knew that I could bowl fast for about five overs and, and, and after that I'd probably deteriorate. Um, and that was the case. And then mentally as well, it all just hit me. Um, so I just wasn't in a good place mentally or physically at that time. Um, but, it, you know, it is what it is. It, I didn't take a wick. I didn't think I bowled much. I was. I, I remember sitting down and finally just not wanting to be there. So that's not... If you're playing a test match and you absolutely don't want, don't want to be there, then that's a problem. So... I think not long after that, mate, I stepped away and didn't play for a couple of months. So, yeah. Yeah, from the outside looking in, we think that it's a glamorous life. Here you are mm. on the international stage, you're getting paid good money to do something that you love. But mm. as we're seeing in sport these days, and probably we're a bit more aware of it, the pressures mm. that go on, because after all, you are normal human beings and you go home and you have feelings. And yep. that can be a terribly difficult thing sitting on your shoulders sometimes. Yeah, it's hard to remember. I get asked about it a bit, but it's hard to... I wish I could remember exactly how I was feeling, but it was, what, 2008, was it? Yeah, so it is tough to, to, to talk about... Not tough to talk about. It's tough to work out what I was actually going through. I wish I knew more or could remember more and maybe help out some young blokes now, but um, from memory, I was just fed up. I was fed up of the game. I was fed up of the attention that it brought. I was fed up of my body. Um, I was fed up of, of Cricket Australia. I mean, and they have to put you under pressure. They have to, you've got to be a certain way. You've got to be fit. You've got to do all that stuff. But I was fed up with it. That's just the way I was. And call it whatever it was. And at that time, I suppose I was called soft and everything under the, you know, you can imagine by mm. all sorts of people, even from the UK, from, from Australia. And from the from, if I went to the pub, blokes would have a go at me. It was just nonstop. So, um, yeah, I think I just needed to get away from it all, to be honest. And I sort of went away on a couple of holidays and, I think after a couple of months, I was like, right, I, you, you do realise, you're like, well, there's nothing else I'm going to, you know, I do enjoy it. I've just got to get my headspace right and, and get all the rubbish out of my head and just play the game. And that's what I ended up doing when I came back. I simplified things. Um, I think I didn't, I don't know if I played another four-day game, maybe played a couple, but certainly wasn't planned on playing any more longer form cricket. Um, I just want to enjoy myself, yeah. We'll talk about the shorter forms of the game, the ODIs, and in particular the World Cup because we are celebrating the World Cup and we'll talk about your great success in World Cup cricket when we come back on the other side of the break. Sean Tate is my guest. Hope you're enjoying our celebration of the World Cup. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. 
You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Good to have you with us for our chat with Sean Tate, the wild thing. I shouldn't have called him that because he doesn't like it. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Life. Sean, you talked about your ODI debut against Mm. India in Sydney 2007. We're watching the 50-over game at the moment. But back then and even before then, the 50-over game was big business and the atmosphere at those games was off the charts. Yeah, I think it was against the Poms, actually. But anyway doesn't matter. That's the SCG against England, I think it was. And uh, I, I, I love the fact the build-up to the games back then in one-day cricket. Um, and I, I suppose it was, well, it was definitely before 2020 was a big hit in Australia. Um, I just loved all the entertainment. Um, SCG, the colour, uh, the crowd building in, um, the music that was played before the game. It was, it was a little bit more laid back, I suppose, than Test cricket as well. So I, it just, I just felt like it suited me. Um, so yeah, I loved every minute of that, of that getting that, that one-day de- debut. Um, but my, I didn't love it at the end of the game. I was shattered at the end because I, I think I went for 68 off 10, which is a lot at, back then. Um, so I wasn't happy with my performance. But anyway. Did that atmosphere, do you think, help you to bowl fast? Because you, you get caught up. It's easy to get caught up in a, yeah. in a vibe like that where the music is loud and, and mm. the vibe is loud. Did it help you bowl quickly? Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, I think, look, I, I know after playing all that time for Australia or whatever and playing 2020 cricket, if I'd gone, when I had to go back and just say you play, like I'd go back to the Saka, for example, and play an internal trial game at Park 25 with no one around, I used to find it hard to get up for those games. Um, so that was another thing. You know, I, I got to a point where when I stopped playing four-day cricket, I didn't miss it at all because I was like, well, you're playing in front of 10 people, whereas T20 cricket, you're always playing in front of a, a, a big crowd. And I loved it. And I couldn't... I found it very difficult to go back to play in front of not many people. So the adrenaline kicks in when you're playing ODIs and it kicked in to the extent where you bowl the ball against England in an ODI mm. at 161.1. Mm. Did it feel like that when it came out? Yeah, it did. It, well, I don't know if it felt exactly that pace, but it certainly felt quick that day. And it's a funny... Cricket's such a funny and fast bowling. Like I'd, I was in... I was, I was over there playing for Glamorgan, um, and then they, I, got, I got the call up. Someone got injured. I got the call up to the squad while I was there, so I just jumped on them. And they, they were playing in, in Cardiff that night, and I was there having a couple of beers at the game because I was playing locally. Um, and I went in the dressing room after, and I, I, was, I had a couple of beers in the dressing room. And Murph Hughes was there. That the he goes, don't have too many tonight because you, you might be on the bus with us tomorrow. Um, I was like, okay, righto. Um, then I think I got a phone call saying, you, you are. So I was like, righto, better wrap this up and, and jump on the bus the next day in Cardiff where I was living anyway at the time. So, um, and that, and I sort of bowled well for the, those first two games. Uh, we played a game at Manchester. I think we played a game at the Oval. And the last game of the series was at Lords. And that game I felt terrible. Like I'd, I, my body felt tight. Um, and I just thought, this is not, this is not right. I'm, you know, I'm not. I'm going, to be, I'm going to be no good today, and that was the day I went out and bowled lightning, and felt really good when I was bowling and, and bowled 161. So it's it's funny how the game works. You you don't feel that good leading in, and you end up bowling the fastest ball you've ever bowled. So yeah. And I think the second fastest ball ever measured. I think Shoah Bakhtar's got you covered by point yes. two of a kilometre an hour. Yes. Are you dirty yeah. on the fact that he, he he's got you by <laughs> point two? Oh, it'd be nice to bowl the quickest ball, but I don't think it would have mattered either way. I'd, 
Yeah, I mean, Schaub was a different level. He, he, he sort of bowled up around that pace quite consistently, I think, Schaub. So he was a different level, yeah. You asked Jeff Thompson though, and there's no he bowled. He honestly thinks he bowled 170. So, Whew. who knows with this fight, with this, this speed gun stuff? You know, back then maybe maybe he was bowling that pace, and from all all reports, he was he was the quickest of all time. So, but um, yeah, so I don't know if if people pay too much attention to it. I suppose, but anyway, can you remember who the 161.1 was at the other end when you yes, bowled? Yes, it? it was Craig Keyswood at the other end, and did he see you it? Know, you, you, you knew you are. You talk about. You talk. I've seen that footage a few times since, and you talk about guys feeling uncomfortable. You could just see how uncomfortable he was facing it. Yeah. Did he get a bat on it, or was it outside off, or where was pad. it? Did he hit him in the thigh oh, pad with a glove, geez. and it went up to, it went up to sort of square leg type area. Yeah, nothing. It was nothing glamorous, but um, yeah, it was a quick. I bowled a quick spell that day. It was Andrew Strauss and some guys that knocked over at the top. It just, it, it was just a, again a great atmosphere. Um, it was a very Probably the most memorable match I've ever played. And I think I took four wickets and got the man of the match, and we beat, beat England as well. So it was one game I'd certainly love to go back and play again. I reckon if you hit him on the thigh pad at 161.1, the bruise would have subsided about two days ago. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, he, wasn't, <laughs> he wasn't happy to be there. I know that much. So, yeah. um, and I think after that, I, after that series, there was calls for me to come back and play on the test side, but it uh, never happened. Yeah. Let's go to the World Cup 2007. As we said, we're, what are your memories of that great time for Australian cricket? Well, yeah, I'll put that up there again. So, you, uh, you know, the Ashes series, fant- uh, uh, Ashes series, you know, a game like the one we just spoke about, 161, um, getting your bag of green, that stuff. I think if there was one part of my career, I would, if I had to leave one part of my career there, it would be that 2007 World Cup. That's, that's something that I would never take away. Um, it was... Again, off the field was fantastic. Uh, good fun to be around the guys. It was laid back because it was in the Caribbean and everything just clicked right on the field. It was one of those rare moments when you just know you're not going to lose. Um, and a great environment to play in, uh, off the field and, and on the field. So it all just came together perfectly. What about four years later? Uh, it was a vastly different experience. There seemed to be a few little things going on behind the scenes and, and some of them came to light as well and they were there for all to see. Was it an uncomfortable atmosphere amongst the team in 2011 because of some of those things? I'm trying to remember what, what was going on. Well, it was the, I think the, the Steve Smith, Ricky Ponting incident after a catch. Oh, yeah. and that's right. It yeah. just Ricky seemed there was the a ball on the ground. Yeah, yeah there yeah, was just a bit of an edge to it. I've got to say, that, yeah, you're right. So I've got to say uh, the environment was a, a hell of a lot different in 2007. Um, I can't quite put my finger on it. I can't remember exactly, but it didn't feel like we were going to win the World Cup. It to me, if I'm honest. So, um, yeah, things just uh, not nothing bad, but something just wasn't quite right. Something wasn't clicking, um, and we're probably all to blame for that as well. Um, so, I mean, we had some good times in that trip as well, but um, it was certainly the complete opposite to, to 2007. And I think that turned out to be your final ODI for Australia, yeah. the quarterfinal against India. Well, that's the other thing. If you if you if you're happy just to call it quits there and then, I mean, I had other reasons as well. But if you're happy just to walk out of the side, and not then obviously there's not. I wasn't having the greatest time of my life. So, um, yeah, that's um, yeah. I think we played the last game at Ahmedabad against India. They beat us, and my last wicket was Sachin. So it could have been worse. Yeah, yeah, not a bad one to bow out on. Yeah, um, we'll bow out of this segment, and we'll come back with our final segment in just a moment and talk about the game as it stands today. That's all still ahead of us with Sean Tate on the other side of the break. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating life. 
You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Our final segment with Sean Tate. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Uh, Tatey, the T20 game. Um, it mm. was a phenomenon before we even saw it in England, and everybody said, yep. watch this, it's just going to take over. Well, it certainly seems to have taken over. Do you think that the future of Test cricket has been jeopardised at all by the phenomenon that is T20, or does one add to the other? I think I think one adds to the other. That's what I think. Um, I don't know the answer. I don't know the exact answer to that. I don't know um, if it will jeopardise things or anything um, Obviously, we, we, there's been talk of the one-day game suffering, but I think when you've got a World Cup to to look forward to every four years, I think the one-day game should stay there. Um, I think they're, they're looking to do more things around that, like make it a, a more of a common... Make games relevant through the year. You know, you go and play a one-day series in, in in India for seven games and no one cares in Australia. You don't... You know, you've got to make it more relevant. You've got to make... Um, you've got to put more on the games, whether it's a, a championship that leads into a World Cup or a a trophy at the end of every couple of years, or just something that, that, that keeps things going. And it's probably the same as Test cricket, that Test Championship they talked about, or mm. having two divisions, or whatever it might be, you know, relegation, or I don't know, I'm just I'm just thinking out out loud. Um, just, just something to tinker the game to make it more exciting, keep people engaged, especially the overseas trips. Unless you've got Foxtel half the time and, and you, you want to stay up late, obviously we can't see a, a hell of a lot of it, so it, mm. it is difficult. We're spoilt with some of the crowds that we have, especially in Ashes series. But you look at some yeah. of the test cricket that goes on around the world and you could basically count the number of people in the stands. Yep. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Um, you, you do. everyone, And it's funny because every time there's a game that's really good, so you play, you see a test go down the wire, which isn't always the case. Mm. And you, especially you know, on Twitter and social media, all that stuff, you see guys come out and say, this is why test cricket is a pinnacle. This is test cricket, blah, blah, blah. But what they forget is... The ten games in between that one and the last one that that happened, it was pretty ordinary Test cricket. So that's the problem, I think. Um, and I might be wrong, but that's the way I see it. Um, it's 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 all well and good to say Test cricket is great um, after one really good good game, good Test. But then the others in between, there might be a West Indies versus South Africa. There's no one at the ground and the and the, the wicket's flat and and it's a crap Test. That's the, that's the stuff that doesn't get spoken about, which is what the problem is, I suppose. So putting more again, putting putting more on the games putting more on a test series rather than just having these two test series versus Sri Lanka in the middle of some ridiculous time of year that no one cares about. Uh, they've got to make it a lot more important, I think. And I don't know what the answer to that is. It's just me just, just thinking out loud, yeah. Sean, it's been a pleasure to sit down for an hour and relive your great career. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. It's been enjoyable. Cheers, mate. Sean Tate joining us. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Hope you can join us next time. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.